Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Edelberg. And once again, for the final time in 2020, welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 175. It's the final episode of the year. Happy New Year to everyone. Hope you start 2021 safe and healthy. And let's have a better year than 2020. I can't skip this opportunity to thank you all for your support of the back of the range. It's obviously been an odd year, frustrating year, surprising year, and especially a challenging year. And while the year has been full of challenges, I've been incredibly fortunate and thankful for all of the great opportunities that have come my way here at the back of the range. This year was the first opportunity for me to partner with the USGA when I was at Bandon Dunes for the USAM. You know, I covered the USAM for the entire week, spent time with the best amateurs in the world. I also spent two weeks at Merido covering the East-West matches and the Merido Amateur. The travel has been fun, and it's definitely something you're going to see more of in 2021. But the highlights of my year, as always, are when people tell me that they enjoy the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I can't begin to tell you how many times someone has stopped me at a tournament or sent me a message online thanking me for this podcast. So after three years of doing it, it's clear that people still enjoy it. So I will obviously keep doing it in 2021. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Merch is available at thebackoftherange.com. That's where you can find each and every episode. So if you need to catch up, that's the place to go to do it. My guest on the final episode of 2020 is Cole Hammer. He's been a guest a couple times before. Always good for a great conversation with tons of insight and perspective. For those of you that need a list of his accomplishments, well, I'll give you a few, but not all. There are quite a few of them. Most of you became aware of Cole Hammer when he qualified for the 2015 U.S. Open at Chambers Bay at the age of 15. Yes, that U.S. Open that Jordan Spieth won after DJ's three put on 18, that's the one. There were plenty of teenagers outside the ropes running around looking for autographs. Cole was inside the ropes playing practice rounds with Spieth and meeting his heroes like Ricky, Tiger, and Rory McIlroy. And speaking of Jordan... If 2015 was the year of Spieth, well, 2018 was the year of Hammer. Medalist at the USAM, semifinal runs in the USAM and the US Junior, Western Amateur Champion, Azalea Amateur Champion, and oh yeah, he picked up the US four-ball title with his partner Garrett Barber. He breezed into his freshman season at the University of Texas. He racked up some wins ultimately helped bring the team all the way to the championship match against Stanford before they took the title, but he was on his way. Heading over to Hoylake as a member of the U.S. Walker Cup team, life is good, things are moving fast, there are articles being written about him, about when he's going to turn professional, he's barely into Texas for a year, and then a combination of two things actually happen. Golf happens, and then COVID happens. Both unexpected, impossible to anticipate, and difficult to deal with. Cole goes through some swing issues right when COVID prevents the one thing that you really need when you're trying to put your game together, competitive tournament reps. So that brings you up to speed, so to speak. I saw Cole quite a bit this year, saw him at the USAM where he missed match play, saw him at Merido 
where the brutally cold and windy conditions made it hard for just about anyone to show their true form. Everyone seemed to be in survival mode. In this episode, Cole and I talk about a tumultuous year for golf and life, and we dove into the final 10 days of his 2020 golf season that were made up of two distinctively different events. His participation in the Walker Cup practice session at Bay Hill and his participation in the South Beach International Amateur in Miami that he ultimately won. So let's get into this episode right away. Cole, you're at the back of the range. Welcome back. And how are you? Ben, good to hear your voice again. Uh, couldn't be more excited to be back and shooting the breeze with you. I feel like I've kind of stalked you all around the country this year. I mean, we're talking Bandon Dunes, where we've been in, been in Dallas and then Orlando and then just recently down in Miami. There's tons to get to, but we're recording the day after Christmas. So Merry Christmas to you and yours. How does uh, Thank how, do, you. how does the Hammer family spend Christmas? Well, uh, as everything did this year, it looked a lot different. Um, this year, we just stayed in Houston, and uh, it was just the four of us, my sister, my mom, and my dad. And uh, we ordered food from, from our club and just sat inside our house and did basically absolutely nothing all day. We opened some presents in the morning, and then uh, that was about it. Um, had a nice Christmas dinner. And then uh, after that, we watched a couple Christmas movies, Christmas Vacation, Elf, Perfect. obviously. Obviously. And uh, and then we called it a day. Usually we have our grandparents come in town, uh, my dad's parents. But obviously this year we uh, decided to steer clear of that. So um, I don't know. Everything just looked a lot different. Well, that sounds, still sounds like a pretty good day. I, I, I don't know why this question just popped in my head, but is, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes or no? No, I, I don't think so. Okay. All right. I, I wouldn't classify that as a Christmas movie. I mean, I... Uh, there's only so many movies you can watch in 24 hours and I feel like you've got to be able to throw elf and Christmas vacation in there or else you're just really kind of missing the boat. Yeah. What are you doing if you're not watching those two? Right. Um, well, it, it sounds like a pretty good day and I was just, I don't know why this question popped into my head, but what, what does, I mean, you, I'm guessing any sort of a golf themed present for you probably is, is, I mean, it, it'd be hard to really shock and surprise you. Um, can you remember a Christmas present that was golf related in your, maybe in your past? I know you're, you're, you know, an old man now at 21. Um, but, but can, <laughs> can you remember a golf present that really resonates that, from your childhood that you remember? Oh, 100%. Okay. So Santa brought me this three iron, this Japanese Honma three iron oh my God. when, when I was about 11 years old. I still have it, and I'm telling you, it was my favorite toy for the next three or four years. I'd, I'd stick it in my bag. It was my 15th club for the longest time, and uh, I don't know. I would just mess around with it on the golf course, and uh, it was like a butter knife. I mean, I'm uh -huh. telling you, you could spread butter with it. And uh, Santa must have known what I really wanted because uh, that thing has seen seen its day with me, that's for sure. So. Um, of all golf gifts I've gotten, and I've, I mean, I've had my fair share of them sure. considering that's basically what I do with my life. That's the most memorable one for sure. There's just, I mean, so much I did with that thing. 
That is the most on-brand Cole Hammer response to a a Christmas present. I'm 11 and I have a butter knife three iron. That's my, I mean, that's the most on-brand answer. I am not surprised at all. That's, that's awesome. Um, well, this has been an absolutely crazy year. That goes without saying uh, for, for everyone, especially uh, people trying to, uh, you know, play competitive golf and play collegiate golf like yourself. And, we're not going to run through the entire year. I mean, there's plenty to talk about, but I, I did want to talk a little bit about when COVID lockdown occurred. I found this very interesting. So uh, I I live on social media just because of, you know, the back of the range and promoting it. And that seems to be a great way to connect with people. And you're obviously, I, I would say you're not a, I mean, you know, breaking news here, you're not a social media star. I don't see you post a lot. I don't see you on Instagram stories or, or I, I don't see you, you know, you post when you, when you, maybe you win or you're going to, you have a couple items that you want to throw out there, but I, I don't think that that is where you spend most of your time clearly. And then I guess around March or April, this video of you skipping balls um, across your pool onto your poolside putting green at your at your family's house in Houston that pops up and that of course goes viral and blows up and we've never spoken about it and I'm just curious how that started and how that maybe provided you with a education on how the whole social media world works what do you remember about that time uh during during lockdown yeah uh I think this the video or the videos were back in April. Um, and you know, I'm lucky enough to have the putting green and pool set up in my backyard. So, uh, when we were kind of locked down for a while and all the clubs were shut down or all the golf clubs were shut down, I, I spent a lot of time here at home and, um, had time to get creative in the backyard. Uh, I had done some trick shots in the past back there with my buddies. Um, but had never really like, focused on uh different ones and trying to see if any of them could stick or were worth my time basically sure and uh i was one sunday afternoon we didn't really have a whole lot going on so um i had my dad behind the camera okay and uh yes and we were out there for about for about two hours and i got those four shots um each one probably took about 60 tries i would say uh and I mean, I had posted two of my previous trick shots on my Instagram before, but yeah, like you said, I'm not very active on social media. I don't post very often. Uh, I don't know. It's just not kind of my style, but, uh, I figured that I wasn't really doing anything during that time and maybe I needed to fill some social media space. And so I, I, yeah. And I, uh, so I went full steam ahead with those trick shots and they obviously turned out great. Um, and I don't know, they, they kind of went viral, um, at least for, for me and my social media stature. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so I don't know, it kind of caught me off guard. I like PGA tour was reposting it sports center reposted it. And, uh, and anyway, so I, uh, I don't know, that was a, that was a cool time for me. Um, just seeing the, seeing what that video did, um, on social media. And I mean, I still get, uh, I still see it getting reposted even today. So, that was fun. Uh, it didn't take too much of my time. Again, I'm lucky to have that set up so I could pull something off like that. But, um, I actually, that trick shot skipping out of the water, I stumbled on it, uh, on accident one day I was trying to 
I was with one of my friends in, in, in the backyard. I was trying to hit like the 64 degree spinner and it landed in the pool on accident, skipped out and just spun like crazy. And I'm right. like, huh, uh-huh. that could be a trick shot. And so I uh, just kind of figured out how to make it work the best way I could. And that's kind of what I came up with. And you said you have a lot of, you got a lot of responses, obviously, from, from mainstream PGA Tour and Sports Center. But I'm guessing that maybe the direct messages and people reaching out to you, there has to be a couple that just kind of like, I can't believe that I just hit four shots in my backyard. And now, you know, this person is reaching out or that person is reaching out. No question. I think the ones that I remember the most were like PGA Tour and Sports Center asking if they could could use my videos. Right. Uh but I mean, all my buddies were responding. They're like, how in the world is this even possible? Like, <laughs> what, like, are you like a magician? Like who's in the pool? Is there water in that pool or is it fake? Like, I mean, you should have seen like, this is Photoshop. This is uh-huh. a joke. Like how, how in the world is this even possible? Uh, so those were funny responding to, but I mean, I can't, I can't exactly remember off the top of my head who like any of the big names, but I'm, I'm scrolling through my DMS right now and I'm, looking around see if i can see anybody worthwhile here but uh yeah that was that was interesting i think i was on my phone that day more than i was my entire life and uh that's part of the reason why i don't uh spend too much time on social media i just i feel like it can be a waste of time and i don't really want to invest all my time there where where i could be using it better or not better but and what I'm actually going to do in life. Sure. So, yeah. Well, you, uh, if you take care of your, if you take care of everything out off of the phone, then uh, things will be just fine on the phone, to be honest with you. Right. So, exactly. So you, uh, so you get out of COVID or, or we get out of the, the lockdown, I guess, basically your entire spring season, uh, everyone's spring season in the NCAA is, is shut down. So you, you have a great freshman run getting to the finals, uh, you know, at the NCAAs um, and then, you know, Obviously, you don't have a chance to get back in your sophomore season. And I think something that maybe listeners may understand, may not understand, but, you know, you can go and, and spend hours on the range and, and the practice area, work on your swing, work on short game, do a bunch of drills. You can, you know, work with a mental coach. You can do all that prep. But if you don't have tournaments to play in, uh, the, the blade, uh, as, as our friend, Albert Huddleston at Merida will say the, you know, you want to sharpen the blade. Well, the blade gets dull if you don't have tournaments to play in. So how did you kind of manage yourself, I guess, for those, what, four or five months, I guess, until really something uh, was available to play in, I guess the USAM probably was your first tournament back, I guess. Was there really much of anything before the USAM? Well, so it's funny. Uh, I usually like this time of year, winter time. I usually, well, at least over the last few years, I usually don't play at all. Um, it's like my time off. So since I've been in college, it'll be, it was like from when our season ended in October until February, when it started back up again, I, I didn't play anything after that, the, uh, winter after my freshman year. So, and my, my sophomore year, I guess. And, uh, I came back and had our first tournament in Hawaii and it was so rusty had had our next tournament in Palm Springs felt like I was knocking a little bit of the rust off and then we had one in Southern Highlands the next week or in Vegas and uh felt like I knocked a little more of the rust off and then COVID hit and I was just it was done so I felt like I I never got the rust knocked off 
completely. Um, and so I regret not having played during the winter because I mean, you take three, four months off, you're, you're just not in competitive shape. And, uh, so I kind of resolved to never do that again, but then COVID hit and I was forced to stop. Uh, and it's not, it's definitely not easy. So from March all the way until the end of June for me, the North South was my first tournament back, thankfully. So, um, I, I got back there, but then it still took me like three or four tournaments to kind of get back in the swing of things and, and competitive shape and just back in the competitive mindset. Cause it's so much different than just going out and playing with your friends or playing with your dad <laughs> on Saturday. So, yeah. uh, I don't know. It, it took me a, a little bit for sure. And, um, uh, I think it took everybody, uh, a while to kind of get back to where they, they wanted to be. And, um, you know, I try to do everything I could, uh, when I, when I'm at home, you know, playing, um, plan for something on the line, uh, on a daily basis and, uh, just making sure I s- stayed competitive. But I mean, that kind of competition is nothing like the competition in a, in a golf tournament. So, um, it's, it was a bit of a shock to the system and, um, but I think I'm, I'm back in a, uh, in a place where I feel like I'm, I'm sharp and I'm ready to roll. Um, it's too bad. I don't have another tournament until Jones cut, but, uh, yeah, we've, it was difficult for sure. It's just something that takes time and um, you just got to, it's all about reps. So it's putting yourself in the situation as much as possible. Yeah. And the other thing that, that I definitely wanted to make sure we talked about is, you know, you know, as well as any other elite amateur that, uh, you know, the world amateur golf rankings really dict- dictates a lot of things, whether it's exemptions, whether it's finding yourself, uh, you know, knocking on the door to make another, you know, Walker cup team. You know, you're a former number one ranked amateur in the world, and with the way that Wagger works, it's a rolling 104-week, you know, two-year point system, and you have this incredible 2018 where you're either winning everything or you're a medalist or you're in the the semis of the USAM and the US Junior the same year. I mean, you have this incredible year, (laughs) and you're basically forced to sit out due to COVID in 2020 and every week that goes by in 2020, it's another week that falls off of your ranking of what you accomplished in 2018. And you can't even pick up a club to do anything about it. And your rankings falling down through no fault of your own. It's just the way the system is. Um, I'm guessing that's another thing you had to keep in perspective this entire year of just realizing that, Hey, I can't do anything about this right now. Um, but I I'll just get it back when I get started, I guess. Right. There's, there's no question. Um, ranking watching could be one of the most frustrating and time consuming <laughs> things that there, there is. And, uh, luckily for a little while they did pause Wagger. So everything stayed on for a little bit longer, but it's still, it didn't, it didn't fix everything cause we weren't playing and we, we could boost our ranking or whatever. So, um, it was, it was difficult. I, I would say that I went a long time without even looking at, at Wagger because I just was like, look, I can't control what the numbers are doing. I just need to be able to control what, what I'm doing. Uh, go out and practice hard as I can and and play my best in competition. And I was like, and if I do that, ranking will take rankings will take care of itself. And, um, I mean, every now and then people would tell me where I'm ranked and I'm like, okay, thanks for telling me, uh, (laughs) basically, uh, don't care. I'm just doing my thing. But, uh, yeah, it was difficult. I mean, you have that, I had that year in 2018 and had a solid freshman year too. And, um, got all the way up to number one and was there for a little while. Uh, and that was, that was, 
a heck of a lot of fun. That's for sure. And something oh, yeah. I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to get back to. And, uh, I don't know, it's difficult not being able to play and, and try to get back there as fast as possible. But, um, I'm glad that we're able to get a little bit more of a sense of normalcy again. And, uh, but yeah, that was, that was difficult and something that I had to kind of block out. Well, speaking of things you want to get back to, I, I, we obviously have to dig into Walker cup. It's, um, you know, one of my highlights of 2019, I know is one of your highlights as well was, was being at Hoylake, um, you know, for the Walker cup, obviously U S team is victorious, uh, have that great final day in the singles. And, uh, and I think it was a five point victory over there at Hoylake. And mm-hmm. now you're, you know, you're this year, you just got done with the Walker cup practice <clears throat> sessions at Bay Hill. And I want to ask you, you were at the last one, obviously you were going into that practice session down in South Florida. I think you guys played medalist and Seminole and, and, um, uh, gosh, what was it? Old Palm MacArthur and then uh, Bears Club too. That's right. So you, so you have this, this murderer's row of golf courses in, in South Florida and you're going into that practice session, I believe is the number one ranked gamer in the world. And Uh I'm guessing you realize that, uh, you're, you know, you're going to be on that team and kind of similar to how Tyler Strafacci felt at this practice session, because he's the reigning U.S. amateur champion. He will be at Seminole on the U.S. team, really the only one that is definitively guaranteed a spot. But can you talk maybe about the differences of going into those two practice sessions, one where you know you're on the team and the other one where, at least by looking at points, no matter what you've accomplished in the past, you know you're not on a guaranteed spot at that time? Right. Uh <laughs> There's no question that the two Walker Cup practices were just infinitely different sure. um, as far as where I stood. Uh, I mean, two years ago, uh, down at Seminole, uh, and d- down at that one two years ago, I had a good idea that I was probably going to make that team, um, even though there were guys like Matt Wolf and Will Gordon and a bunch of those guys there. Because um, seemed like uh, the next step for them was going to be turning pro before it was playing the Walker cup. So, um, that kind of diminished the, uh, I guess, competition size for the team. Sure. Uh, and so I, I had a good idea that I was going to make it and it was a very fun and laid back week for me. Uh, and obviously it, <laughs> Hoy Lake was the highlight of my golf career. There's no question about that. It was just, it was so much fun. The memories and stories that, you know, both of us have from that week will, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> will have forever. I mean, what a time that was. Uh, but yeah, so this this is a lot different. Obviously, hadn't played my best golf over the last year, year and a half, and uh, I was probably lucky to make that practice squad, even though my ranking was in a spot where um, it would make sense. So uh, I'm thankful to the USGA for putting me on that practice squad team, but uh, it was a lot different. Um, I'm not going to say it was more stressful uh, because I don't know, I was around so many of my my good friends this time around. Uh, whereas last time around I was, pro- I was considered the young one other than Akshay. Uh, but now I was kind of, I feel like a, like a peer contemporary with all these other guys. And sure. so, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was under a ton of pressure, but it was definitely um, a little bit more nerve wracking than the one before. Cause I mean, even though they say it's not a tryout, uh, you still want to play well. And uh, can be a little bit disappointing if you don't do that. Um, especially with, not very, uh, not very many tournaments left before they pick the team in February. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of golf. Uh, we were at Bay Hill and then Lake Nona. Um, and we played, 
almost 120 holes of golf and we finished it up finished it up the last day with uh, a nine hole scramble um, between the two teams because they split up the two teams or they split up the six, 16 guys into a red and blue team. Yeah. And uh, so they did teams of four, two teams from the blue team, two teams from the red team. We played a, played a scramble. And so from each team, we picked uh, two guys to hit the tee shots. The other two guys would hit the approach shots and then all four would hit the putt. And so uh, we ended up, basically all the matches came down to the last green and uh, we had some some fun putts at it on the 18th bay hill so that was that was very entertaining and uh it was a great time got to spend um quality time with captain crosby and and robbie as well and so um if nothing else it was a great time but i guess the circumstances were a lot different um pretty much knowing i was going to be on the other team in this one (laughs) way up in the air so um but both great experiences and um different very different in their own right now i don't want to get into the specifics of the walker cup practice session i was invited to do a little photo and 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 video work by the usga so thank you to them for for allowing me to take part in that and just kind of be a little bit on the inside uh circle for for that one day so I don't, you know, people have asked me like, Hey, you know, who, who looked good. And my answer is they all look good. They all hit the ball. Great. Everyone's making putts. I just gave a stock answer. Cause you know, what happens there yeah. stays there, but I feel I'm on somewhat safe ground by asking a specific question about team manager, Robbie Zalznick. I've noticed that Robbie <laughs> likes to have a little fun, which if you don't know him may seem off brand, but I noticed that several times someone would hit a really, you know, nice chip or a shot out of a bunker really close. And then he would run over to the ball and either throw it back in a bunker or kick it into, or throw it in the water. Um, he's some of it a prankster, isn't he? Uh, he is an unbelievable prankster okay. for lack of a better word <laughs> <Yeah>. yes <laughs> see <laughs> prankster is a really safe word for both of us so um have you ever yeah. been on the receiving end of one of these uh, uh horrible pranks by by mr uh, zalsnik i have actually uh spent enough time around z which is what we call him uh-huh. uh you, you will you're not safe nobody's safe <laughs> uh so funny story this year u.s open wingfoot I'm one of, I can't remember however many amateurs in the field, but Robbie and I have gotten pretty darn close over the years, uh, starting in 2018 and, and moving forward. Um, cause he runs USAM Walker cup and the U S open yep. and U S senior open, but obviously have not uh, ventured over to that territory yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but so anyways, Wingfoot, um, he's running check-in or whatever. Um, and he usually puts, so, in the locker room, instead of names, he will, for the guys he knows, he'll mess around with the guys and, and put like a nickname on the locker or whatever. And so, uh, <laughs> he put a hammer instead of my name, just like a, a hammer on my locker. Uh, and so that's how I knew it was my locker. Huh. And, uh, so throughout the week, he actually had, I think it was seven foam hammers that he hid throughout the player dining room that I had to find. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. And, uh, like he put one above a clock over the security guard. He put one like in like a bunch of glasses above the bar. He put one in a chandelier 
he put one in like a flower vase and then he put one at his desk and he had a couple others scattered around. I can't remember exactly where they were, but I mean, it, it was like a scavenger hunt. It was, it yeah. was hilarious. I was, just, then, I was just gonna say, because you know, when you're playing in a major championship, when you haven't had as many tournament reps as you'd like to have because of the year, the first thing you really want to do is go on a scavenger hunt at Wingfoot while there's professionals walking around wondering, What in the hell are you doing, kid? Uh, you don't belong here. Well, yeah, exactly. Luckily, kind of left out a key part of the story. Uh, I didn't go into the player dining, uh, until I missed the cut. So, (laughs) so I walked in there, I walked in there and he was like, Cole, where have you been this week? And I'm like, well, I was eating in like the caddy special guest area with my caddy and my dad. I didn't really know that we had all this nice food in here because, you know, I'm an amateur and, and don't know the drill. Right. Uh, and so he was like, well, now that you're here, you're going to have to go on the scavenger hunt. So I, I missed the cut. I I could care less at that point uh-huh. what the pros thought of what I was doing. Okay. Uh, and so I just kind of stomped all around player dining and, and, and got him down <laughs> and uh, brought him back. And he actually made me sign one of the stupid hammers. And so I uh, I did that. And that was just – it was hilarious. And, I mean, he does that to everybody, though. Right. It's not just me. Like, he – I mean, this week he's throwing balls. John Pock had one ball, brought it up to the first tee, and uh, Robbie was like, let me see that, and then just chunked it and made John go get it. Yeah, I remember that. uh, Yeah. And then, uh, so funny deal. He's, he's the best. I, I, my, my new goal for 2021 is to be on the receiving end of a prank by Robbie Zalznak. I can't believe I'm putting this out there in the universe, but, uh, yes, that is, if I make, I mean, I'm in, if I get that, I'm in. You're, yeah, you really are. So. Well, you got you're you're ahead of the game already. So all right. Well, I'll I'll be looking looking out for something like that. So this Walker Cup practice session, this is you know, obviously, like you said, it's it's not a tryout. It is basically just recognition for really the the top sixteen prospects uh, going into the team. And obviously, not all of those guys are going to be on the ten man team. And actually, there's there is precedent. There could be someone on the outside. I mean, John Pock was not at the practice session and. He makes the team at Hoy Lake and goes undefeated, so it can happen. Um, how do you, and this is maybe something that you know for a lesson for you know juniors out there or for other amateurs out there, but how do you kind of block out the noise and perform your best when you know that there are people watching and judging you? And I don't mean necessarily fans because you've played in front of fans for gosh, it feels like your entire amateur career, but whether it's <laughs> Captain Crosby walking around or Robbie walking around or or maybe, you know, a, a college coach that's walking around a junior, you know, before they know where they're going to play collegiately. How have you been able to block things out and just focus on the task at hand? All right. I think that's a, uh, that's a great comparison. A college coach walking around uh, recruiting a junior compared to what we're going through now with right. whether that, whether that be agents or captain Crosby or sure. just whatever, because you're always trying to, there's always a next step in, in golf. And uh, so, yeah, I think I've had to uh, kind of draw back on my experience with college recruiting, even though I really didn't have much of a recruiting experience because <laughs> yeah. I committed when I was in eighth grade. So uh, <laughs> that's hard for me to kind of fall back on. But you know what? Uh, at the end of the day, it's so cliche, and I'm, I hate to be saying this, but it's it's you and a golf ball and a golf club, and you're trying to get it in the hole. And, and the all the other crap around you just – it can't you can't make it matter or else it will and it'll affect you and 
you just kind of have to fall back on what you do every day on a daily basis and, and just know that um, you're the one controlling it and uh, other people's eyes just don't need to have an effect on you because um, what you do, if you do what you need to do, it'll take care of itself. And so, I mean, sometimes it's easy to let it slip and you're like, well, I don't want to hit a bad shot here and you end up making a bad swing and you got to learn from that. And that, nobody's perfect, right? People, we hit bad shots and people, and, and the guys watching know that. And I think a lot of it is kind of how you respond to that and, and go hit the next shot. So uh, it's just important to keep a level head about it and um, just try not to put too much pressure on yourself because uh everybody's human and um but this time of year with walker cup it's kind of crunch time now so um we all want to play well but i think it's just important to kind of stick with what you know and um, try to block it all out like for me i kind of almost envision myself in in a little box that uh where nobody can get in and i can't really get out um so uh, that's kind of my way of dealing with it. Um, just staying in my own world and letting everything else kind of fall into place from there. Sounds like a strategy that's worked and that kind of is the perfect segue into, you know, we talked about, you know, obviously with this COVID season and with, with it being a Walker cup year and really after this practice session, there's only two major tournaments left for prospects to show what they got and show what, what kind of form they're in. And that's the South Beach International. And then, as you mentioned, the Jones Cup. So I remember this week, because I was obviously there that one day with you at the practice session, and the South Beach International is down in Miami at Normandy Shores and Miami Beach Golf Club, and it starts on Saturday. So let me see if I got the timetable right. You're you're playing 120 holes, and it wraps up on Friday in Orlando, which is a three-hour mm -hmm. drive away, and you need to be on the tee at about 11.30 a.m. on Saturday. And I was already home in Palm Beach, and I'm thinking, huh, I know Cole's playing the South Beach. I wonder when he's going to get there. And I shoot you a text, and you're like, yeah, I'm on my way. And that was about 8 o'clock at night. So um, you get down to Miami at about 1 a.m. Correct me if I'm wrong, you've never played either one of those courses yet, have you? No, I actually have played them. I've played in the South Beach twice, but it had been a long time. Okay. It had been two, two, three years. Yeah, I think it was. The last time I played was in 2017. So before we talk about the tournament, which you end up obviously winning by by five, the question I want to ask you is, you know, maybe in the last five years, for people that follow amateur golf, even casually, uh, you know, mainstream golf fans, you know, your name, and I'm thinking maybe Hagestad are the two amateur names that people would identify with. You know, partly, obviously, because you playing in the U.S. Open at 15 and and your success at, at, in 2018, and then obviously being at Texas, Stu with his U.S. Mid-Am win and, and playing in U.S. Opens. I mean, these are the names that are really identifiable. Um, not putting words in your mouth, but I'm thinking if anyone can say, hey, you know, my resume should stand as it is. I'm Cole Hammer. I may take these two tournaments off and just see where it leaves me. When did you kind of make the decision of, yeah, I got to go play in some, I got to go play in this thing. I got to play in this. I got to play in the Jones cup knowing it's right after the Walker cup practice session. When did you kind of make the decision of here's how I'm going to make this run at trying to find a way onto the team? Basically I knew that, uh, I needed to prioritize competition. Uh, you know, I've had, I have a solid resume, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what I've been able to accomplish in amateur golf, but, um, the Walker cup is all about what have you done for me lately? Pretty much. Um, and, and the resume helps, 
Um, there's no question about that. Uh, match play helps. Um, and ha- I would think it does at least. And, uh, but I have not exactly had a great last year. I've been close. I've, uh, there's been certain shots I've hit that have kind of taken me out of contention, um, in, in different tournaments, but, uh, I just, I haven't had the results that I felt like I needed to have to put myself into a position to, to make a cup team. And so my decision to play in the South beach in the Jones cup, uh, was 100% based around making the Walker cup team um, because we have so much less time this year. Cause usually it's in September and we have a, an entire summer of golf to do that. And um, with it being hurricane season and then moving up Walker cup to may, it just it, we're all in a time crunch and uh, there were only two tournaments left. And um, I just, I really felt like I needed to uh, make it a priority to play. And uh, especially the South beach um, because uh, it's a tournament that um, carries a lot of weight um, just in the golf world. And uh, I, at the end of the day, I just knew that um, I needed to play for my own good and just see myself uh, kind of succeed on a, on a big amateur level again. And um, I think coming straight from the Walker cup practice, even though I was just dead tired, um, <laughs> like I told you, when I saw you, it was actually a good thing. I was, kind of back into competitive shape, hadn't played a tournament in a while and, uh, just was very, very relaxed. Um, when I started the tournament on the first hole and, um, just kind of got off to a good start and just kind of carried it over from there and, um, saw myself make a bunch of birdies and, uh, ended up, uh, winning the tournament by five. And, uh, you know, it was, <laughs> it was actually somewhat, emotional for me because I had been a while since I'd won a tournament basically sure. been two years. And, uh, so I don't know, it was great, um, getting to get a win at this, at this point, uh, with everything going on with the walk cup and, and really just for my own good to see myself, uh, in contention and, um, getting it done down the stretch again. So, uh, it was a great week. There's no question. And you had schoolwork to balance while you're doing that as well. If I remember correctly. Yeah, I did. I, uh, I'm taking this American popular music course. I mean, it's by no means, uh, strenuous, but I still had to do it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, so I got that done Sunday night, ended up missing a deadline for something on, on Monday that I had no clue about, but, uh, cause I didn't open my computer again until Christmas Eve and I was a little bit behind. There's uh-huh. no question, but it was definitely worth it. I was able to kind of uh, stay in the, in the golf zone, uh, you could say. And, uh, after I shot 62 or whatever, that, that yeah. third round, I was just like, you know what, uh, let's just kind of stick with what I'm doing here. And I need to, um, open that computer up. <laughs> the interesting thing too, is you were the only one from the practice session that went to go play in the, in the South beach. And I was, you know, I, I had people asking me and I was thinking about it. And I was like, well, you know, it, and you, you correct me if I'm wrong, what your, obviously your mental uh, approach to this tournament, I'm guessing was, was different than maybe what I was thinking, but I'm thinking to myself, all right, he just needs to play well. He doesn't need to necessarily win the thing. You know, if someone, like if someone Cole hammers and boat races you uh, and shoots a 62 in the third round and, you know, there's not much you can do about that. But I'm thinking to myself, man, this guy's coming off of no sleep. He's got to be exhausted. And, I'm thinking, gosh, I hope, you know, if he hangs a 75 in one of those rounds and, and misses a cut, then uh, gosh, what, where does that leave him? Did you have any of those thoughts going into this tournament of like, okay, I just need to put four solid rounds together. 
Um, you know, what were your thoughts going in? Obviously, you want to get your reps, but did you have expectations? I uh, I did have ex- expectations to to a point. Um, I I wasn't swinging well for a while, um, and within the last month or so, I feel like I've started to click, and uh, I hadn't really had a chance to, I guess, put that on display. Merido was. Oh yeah, it was, was interesting. It it didn't really feel like a golf tournament. I no one, no one really could show how they were really playing. I felt like, and uh, so this this was a great opportunity for me to do that. And I felt like I I just needed to put myself back into a competitive arena. Um, and so, yeah, I I don't know. I just I knew that there was definitely a, a chance that I could play badly and uh, miss the cut. And then I guess put myself more behind the eight ball going into the Jones cup. And then basically I would need to win that. But I just, I figured that there's only two tournaments left and I can't be scared to fail. I need to go out there and take it because I can't just sit on my heels and, and hope uh, because yep. at this point I, I didn't really feel good about my chances and I didn't really have a good uh, a reason to feel good about my chances. And so I just, Felt like I needed to go out and uh, make it happen, I guess. And uh, even though I was tired, I still had motivation to play well. Um, like I said, I got off to a good start, and I think um, when when I got in, when I get into competition, I I get a I get a second wind, and so even though I was dead tired, my body was tired. I, I didn't feel it on the golf course. Um, I would feel it after the rounds, and when I wake up in the morning. Uh, my body was pretty sore. Um, cause I hadn't actually, I hadn't really taken a day off from golf since it might've been before Thanksgiving. Uh, and so I, it was just a ton of golf in a row, but, um, I just, I was like, look, Cole, uh, you've got one more, you got four more days of golf and then you can take a week, two weeks off, however, however long you can, you want to take off. And I was just like, look, don't, um, mentally don't take a step back. Um, for for any second just do your best because at the end of the day that's that's all you can do and uh yeah i just tried to put my best foot forward knowing that i needed to make something happen and i (laughs) i'm so happy that i did oh i i you know i remember when we i think when you were the the first time you were a guest on this podcast i think i asked you a question about all the trophies in your room if you know if something happens you got to run back and grab just one of them if i remember right at the time you said it was the western am trophy and uh, yeah. I'm guessing that answer might be different right now. Yes, it's. I, I never thought the day would come where I would say that the Western wasn't the biggest tournament I'd won to this point. Um, now, points-wise, it it may still oh, be, sure, but sure. Uh, meaning, as far as meaning goes, the South Beach is by far the biggest tournament uh, for me in um, my amateur career. Um, there's no, there's no doubt about that. I just, I. Yeah, it was a struggle for a while, and so to see myself get it done when I when I needed it most is uh, something that I'll be able to look back on for as long as I'm playing this game. The Western was incredible and kind of got me kick started. Uh, I got my amateur career kick started, and uh, was a big reason why I made the Walker Cup team and the World Am team the year before that. Um, but that was two years ago, and uh, had been a while. And to see myself win the South Beach uh, at, at this time was was huge and uh yeah so i can confidently say that that this one will stick with me for a long time so i'll ask you as we as we wrap up this episode and as we as we wrap up kind of the the year that has been unlike any other um what is maybe one of your biggest takeaways of 2020 whether it's you know family and faith and golf and just life itself 
what's maybe been one of your takeaways for, from 2020? What a year, Ben. I mean, goodness gracious. Yeah. Uh, it's been 300, whatever it's been now, 360 days of the longest year ever. I mean, it seems like, uh, and you know, I, there's a lot to learn. Uh, but I think that it all comes down to, um, learning how to prioritize time. Uh, when you're kind of in the hustle and bustle of, of regular life, you for, you can kind of skip over things that are important to you. Uh, and I think COVID has taught me, um, or has kind of, um, brought me back to the fact that I need to make time for, uh, the little things in my life. Um, I don't know, just being able to, uh, take a step back and, and rest, um, rather than just always going a thousand miles an hour. Uh, and we were forced to do that this year. And I felt like I was able to kind of, um, get some, uh, good perspective on different things. And, uh, I, I was able to kind of dive back into my faith and, uh, whereas sometimes I can overlook it, which is not something that uh, I want to, uh, do in the long run. And so, uh, you know, well, although this year was just brutal in terms of, um, the health of this world and, uh, the kind of golf competition as far as it goes for us. But uh, I do think it brought some good perspective on uh, the priorities in my life and uh, what I need to focus on on a daily basis and just making sure I'm uh, kind of moving forward every day rather than just staying, staying in the same place. So uh, 2020 was quite the year. That's for sure. Yeah. I would have to agree with just about everything you said. Um, it's been an incredible, it's been a very odd year and, uh, I definitely agree with you just taking a step back and, and reprioritizing and, uh, yeah, the world tends to move very, very fast and not to completely rip off Ferris Bueller, but you need to take a step back and look around <laughs> or it might pass you by. But, um, well, this is, I think this is going to be the last episode of the year and, uh, you're, you're a veteran here at the back of the range. And, you know, if this golf thing doesn't work out for you, you, you could have a pretty good career as a podcaster. So let's, uh, let's, let's turn the, the question, uh, over to you. Um, do you want to ask the last question, uh, of 2020 on the back of the range golf podcast? Uh, do you want to ask something to me to wrap things up, to wrap up this episode? I do. I think. I think we need to hear from the most interesting golf podcaster in the game. Oh, here we go. Where does Ben Adelberg go from from here? Where what what does he take away? What kind of what does he take away from 2020? And where does he see his photography, social media, and podcasting going in 2020? What are your what are your plans? Wow, that's a good question. Um, first of all, uh, 2020, believe it or not, uh, has as you know, has really uh, amplified the presence of the back of the range to the point of not just right. an audio medium, but I find myself at more and more golf tournaments. Can't I mean I I can't continue the the answer without thanking uh, Merido for having me out twice, and the USGA for for having me at the US Amateur abandoned in a year where there really were not a lot of media people there. So I've been incredibly fortunate uh, this year. I, I really think I'm going to be at as many tournaments as possible in 2021. Uh, I still have a day job, so that's going to take some right. very creative uh, scheduling. I'll leave that at, I'll leave the answer at that when I say very creative scheduling. But um, I'm 
blown away by the amount of amateurs and collegiate players that uh, are, are so gracious with their time, uh, like yourself and, and everyone else that I've run across this year. Um, uh, it's, it's nice that I'm, uh, you know, like even as far as Carl Phillips saying like, Oh, you know, it's, you know, back of the ranges here, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool when, when those things happen. And uh, I really want to highlight the amateur game. I want to highlight the collegiate game. I, I don't believe that, um, uh, I believe that there is a great need to highlight the, the young, young superstars of this game. And because whether or not they turn pro or they don't, um, the game, the amateur game is incredible. The stories are incredible. So my goal for 2021 is to talk to as many amateurs and collegiate players as I can, be at as many tournaments as possible, um, whether it's amplifying their uh, you know social media presence, whether it's just providing photo and video. I want to be everywhere. I want to literally be at every single tournament I can be at and, um, and have people kind of wondering like, well, who the hell is this guy? He's everywhere. And, <laughs> and, 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 and kind of force the hand of truthfully force the hand of, of tournaments, force the hand of governing bodies of, Hey, we need to highlight these guys more and these women. We need to, we need to highlight it more and more and more. And if you do it and you tell the stories, more people will care about golf. They'll care about the amateur game. And, um, <laughs> that's really my goal. That's, that's kind of, and where that leaves me, I, I have no idea, uh, whether that leaves me working for a organization or, being an outside person just comes in i i could not tell you but i would love to push the envelope and get some answers to those questions well speaking for all of us amateurs that, that's music to our ears we love we love having you out there uh you're so personable and uh really really complimentary of us and and cover us like unlike anybody else has in amateur golf so um, we can't thank you enough for that. And, uh, we're looking forward to seeing you out in 2021. So, um, can't wait for another great year with the back of the range. Perfect way to end the episode and the year. Uh, as always, my friend, I appreciate the time and, uh, and, and obviously really letting us into, to what the last year has been like. Um, and, and obviously it ends on a great note with you winning the South beach. So congrats again for that. <laughs> incredible win we'll do it again in 2021 i appreciate you being on the back of the range and uh all the best to you in the new year anytime you too thanks looking forward to it and there you have it special thanks to cole hammer for joining me on the final episode of 2020 don't forget follow along on facebook twitter and instagram everything you need to know about the back for the range you can find it on the website thebackoftherange.com Thank you all so much for a great year. Let's do it again in 2021. We'll see you next time here at the back of the range.